And I got up out of bed like two hours before they got up, made a tea, and I couldn't wait to tell them what had happened. <laughs> it was probably the best, the most on fire ever, just within my soul, was burning to tell other people that Jesus is real. He is real. God is real. And you can actually have a relationship with him. And I just started one with him. You gotta live it. You gotta love it. Testimony goes on and on and on. It's magnetic. It's prophetic. It's got stories being told. Hey, welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel. And today we have Henrik with us. How are you doing, Henrik? Very good, thanks, Joel. I'm stoked to have you on the podcast because you are actually a huge part of my faith. In 2017, when my wonderful wife and I did uh, YWAM Youth with the Mission, and uh, that set us on fire to, I mean, I'm kind of blaming YWAM for the reason that this podcast probably exists, <laughs> is I don't think I would have had the faith to step out like this if we hadn't have done YWAM. I certainly wouldn't have had the ability to hear God's voice awesome. um, as clearly as we have been. And, um, yeah, you were a teacher um, on one of my weeks at YWAM. And, uh, man, it was such a long time ago since I last saw you. And then all of a sudden, boom, bump into you and your wonderful wife, Katrina, at our home church here in Queenstown, which is so cool. And you're back doing more teaching. That's right. Yeah, awesome. Enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just brilliant. And you've got such an awesome story about um, being a missionary in the Pacific Islands. Just sounds like the dream, really, sometimes. But um, there's definitely some uh, trials out there. It and has I'm re- its challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm super keen to hear yeah. um, sort of all of those events that took place while you've been over there. Because a lot of the time you come over and you teach for a week, but we sometimes don't hear your testimony on why God's radically changed you. We just have the knowledge and the wisdom and the tactics that you pass on. But I want to know why you believe. What do you believe? So let's start with that question, eh? Henrik, have you always been a Christian? No, I have not. I often think about uh, that question, uh, what it means to be a Christian. And uh, if you actually, somebody asked me that question shortly before I gave my life to Jesus. Are you a Christian? And that was after I had prayed a prayer, a blessing over the food. And um, this lady had the guts to ask me, are you a Christian? And I looked at her and I wondered what she was talking about. And I thought, well, of course I'm a Christian because I've gone to church. And I looked at her and said, well, yeah. And she replied, I don't think so. Whoa. And I was quite (laughs) upset about that in my heart. Of course I was smiling in response, but inside of me I was going, I wonder what she's talking about. So little did I know at that time what a Christian was. So when you ask me, am I a Christian, I actually should respond. That depends on what you mean by that. So um, I would be quite happy to talk about that. Well, let's go with that. What was your first um, definition of being a Christian that you had early on? And how has that changed over time? Yeah, so I grew up in a little village in North Germany, surrounded by uh, people who would go to church. My parents took us to church, all six of us. I'm one of six kids. 
and uh, taught us very early to not only go into children's church but also to get confirmed in the Lutheran church that was that was our church and to uh, be a teacher in Sunday school Sunday school being a school that was only for young people for children so I would tell bible stories and all of that and the church was also connected to a place a convent where uh, protestant nuns were resident And they were uh, pretty much untouchable. We didn't see them other than on Sunday mornings in a special balcony. And they looked very, very, very devout, uh, very serious. Uh, I remember there were times around Christmas where they would actually come out of their shell and they would go singing with us. And um, to me, that was... Like, these guys are really, really Christian and really serious about God. Mm. I also thought about my own sister who fell ill when she was fairly young and uh, had epilepsy and was suffering from epilepsy for a long, long time. And at some point, she wanted to become a nun as well. And I thought, yeah, I can understand that, that someone who is suffering an illness um, would get more devout, devoted mm. to God and go into a place where the nuns live, into a convent or a nunnery. And um, so that was my picture of being a Christian, really. Yeah. Now, um, I had developed a love for the Wild West as I was growing up and I was reading a lot of books about Indians and cowboys um, and um, at some point, uh, while I was 14, when I was 14, it was uh, said that a missionary was coming to town and mm. they're having a, uh, a meeting. And uh, I really wanted to go because this missionary was working among Indians in America and mm. I wanted to hear everything about teepees and squaws and whatever. And... Um, I asked him after he shared whether I could have a talk with him. And he said, for sure. And he took me into a side room and I asked him all sorts of questions about cowboys and this and that. And um, he very gently moved the conversation to introduce me to Jesus. And at the end of the conversation, he asked me whether I would want to give, whether I want to have a relationship with Jesus, not that was absolutely strange to me. And I mumbled something, probably uh, something affirmative. like, But in my heart, it was an absolute definite N-O, no way. No way, for one, because I'm a male and I will never be a nun. For two, I don't want to be a nun. I (laughs) want to live a life. He was asking you to be a nun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or a monk. I knew there was a, a male monkey. version to this, <laughs> yeah. and I was not about to go that way. Yeah. And I definitely said, absolutely no way. And I very consciously decided against a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. I was 14. Fast forward a lot, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so with uh, 15, just a year later, um, I faced the possibility of being expelled from school because my favorite subject was teasing teachers that didn't get me very far. At 16, I was actually kicked out of public high school. I was sent to a boarding school and developed a bit of a lifestyle that was quite destructive 
to myself. Um, relationally with the opposite gender, drug-wise, mm. it was um, not doing me good. Uh, although I enjoyed it, but I knew it was very temporary. In hindsight, I was actually talking to people later and found out that there were people who loved Jesus in the place that I was living in, and I was completely blind to it. I didn't ever ever meet them. I never saw them. And I think it was God really in his, I don't know how I would call it, but just taking me serious in my decision to say, no, I don't want to live with God. I don't want a relationship with him to honor that choice that I had. I just was completely blind to it. Until the day where a girlfriend of mine wrote me a letter and said that she had met Jesus and it had actually changed her way of life and the way she looked at things. This girl had been looking for God for a long time. She had been in different Eastern religion things and tried all sorts of things to find fulfillment of life itself but also answers to life questions like why am I here what is the purpose of life and all of this and mm. she said she had been in she was actually physically in Switzerland we had lived together uh, up in North Germany I had asked her to leave I wanted my party life I thought she was a bit in the way for me to have my party life and so she had gone down to Switzerland had gone to Labrie where Francis Schaeffer had a place where hippies can come together and she went there and listened to a speaker and met Jesus that night. And she wrote me the letter and saying, I met Jesus. Wow. And um, What was your initial thought of that? Like, oh, I, well, she's gone crazy or she's become a exactly. nun? Exactly. You think? I thought, <laughs> she, is, she has just become a nun. And I was picturing her with this, you know, long black robe and a big cross on her chest and a hood on and... <laughs> looking like, dead serious. It's become, our relationship, can't marry a nun, so goodbye. <laughs> well, that would be one way of looking at it, but that's not what I thought. I actually thought, look, I just asked you to leave and move, <laughs> move away from here so that I could have my freedom, but mm. I care enough about you that I think I need to save you from this terrible mistake that you've made. And uh, I did have a car back then and uh, drove down 1,200 kilometers. took me 14 hours to think on how am I going to save her from... Save her from the Savior. Well, I had no idea about a Savior at the time, but <laughs> if you look back, it would be a bit like that. Yes, exactly. How, do, how would I save her? And I had a plan on how to do this <clears throat> to can, basically... Can I ask you, um, I know you didn't want anything to do with God, and like you said to that missionary when you were 14, no, I don't want to have a relationship with Christ. Well, right. you said that in your heart. Um, was there, was that a, no, I don't want a relationship with Christ, but I know he's real, or was that I don't actually believe Jesus is real to have a relationship with Christ? I definitely did not believe that Jesus was for real. I had okay. no idea about that. It was never told to me. I had no idea mm. that God was real. I thought it was something yeah. far away out there that people who are very needy need to relate to, and it was definitely for women, not for men. Yeah. And that was my <laughs> idea. For sure, I did not. Although I taught biblical stories to kids, I did not. I thought it was 
not a not a real thing and a god was definitely not a personal god i had no idea about that just stories to teach good morals and things like that exactly yep. so um well take me back to um this girlfriend that's found jesus and you've driven down halfway across the country to save her from him no actually, yeah i drove all the way from north germany the coast of north germany into southern switzerland <laughs> so it was a long Gosh. way and um um, so I arrived and I let the engine of the car running thinking that I would grab her and take her into the car and take her robes off and, you know, talk sense into her. But was just absolutely flabbergasted by the fact that when she opened the door, she did not have a black coat on and she didn't have a hoodie on and all, I mean, this hood on or anything. She looked very normal and greeted me with very excitedly, was happy to see me and, I had to go and turn the car off and go in and just find out what on earth was going on. So after a little while in the house, I looked at her and I said, what on earth happened to you? What did you, what is this thing that you told me? And um, she said, well, I was waiting for you to ask this because on the outside, I couldn't see anything negative. It was any, if there was anything, it was good. Mm. And she started explaining to me that, God is actually real. And Jesus is the son of God who said that if I, me, she said, if I have a relationship with Jesus, I can actually have a relationship with the Father. And that through Jesus, I can have this relationship with mm. God that I can't have any other way. And she said, it is everything makes sense. In my life, everything makes sense after I believe that Jesus actually brings me into a relationship with God, this thing that I've been looking for for a long time. And I thought, well, I haven't been looking and I don't really want to know about this very much either because I'm really not interested. Now, you're just blowing things out of my concept because I thought that you need to be a nun. You're not a nun, so it doesn't make sense to me, but can we just stop talking about this? And we did. But I was curious and stayed for... I think three days I stayed and I asked a few more questions. She told me a little bit more. She was working and uh, I was most of the time alone processing. One of my favorite music in those days was Pink Floyd <clears throat> and the Stones and this is back in the 70s. And uh, found myself lying on the floor on the carpet uh, turning on a shortwave radio button to find the right radio station where I could find the right music to listen to. and uh, But my mind was somewhere else, and some of us understand what that's like. You do something, your mind is somewhere completely different, and you do something else automatically. So I'm turning this button on the radio, and because it was shortwave radio, it goes like, you have this noise going on because you've passed all these stations. Deep in my soul really was the question, if what she is saying is true about God and about Jesus. I really want to know. Mm. And I don't think it'll hurt. I could just ask the question, but it was more than just a question. It was really from deep, deep, deep within. I really wanted to know. It was not like, yeah, I'd like to know. It was more like, I really want to know. Because mm. have, you, have you ever thought about the two outcomes it is both equally as important 
and equally as terrifying whether God is real or whether God is not real. At the time, I was not thinking about that at all. Yeah, I suppose not. Many young men, eh? No, I had no idea. Yeah. No idea. But what happened next was quite extraordinary because I stopped, I went back to, oh, I want to listen to some music, and I stopped turning the dial on the radio. And just like you are listening to the radio or to the podcast right now, this guy in the radio, there was a guy talking out of the radio, and he's saying, if you're listening to this program right now, I just want you to know that God is for real. (laughs) <laughs> and he wants you to have a relationship with him. Come on. And he sent Jesus onto this earth to walk out this special relationship with the Father, with God. And he came to say that if you accept me and make you Lord of my life, you can actually have that relationship with God. Wow. And I looked at the radio and I said, how do you know? <laughs> Talking to this radio. Now, by that time, I'm going to my own head and go like, what's going on here? <laughs> But it was... Who's the crazy one? You're talking to a radio. <laughs> exactly. So like, what, is everything all right? I'm t- literally talking to the radio because he was literally repeating the things that Kat- Katrina, that was my girlfriend, I'm married to her now for over 40 years, what she had told me about. And um, <laughs> I could not deny, there was no denying that something supernatural was happening. And I mm-hmm. think for the very first time, Really, for the very first time in my life, mm. at that time I was 22, maybe 23, or just about 22, um, for the very first time was I confronted with the reality of a God who is not seen, and I actually thought there's something going on here that is real. I don't see it, but I hear it, mm. and I feel it. And um, so I walked away from that visit still asking that question. It was actually during that time that we visited this other family where this girl asked me whether I'm a Christian and where I said, you know, so, so, uh, yeah, maybe. But then we said, like, I don't think so. It was right after I had had this experience with the radio. So in the natural, probably at the time, I would have responded quite cheekily or in a way like I'm offended, but I couldn't. I didn't say anything. I just felt like, how could you say this or be so judgmental or whatever? But she was right. I was not a Christian. I was not. I did not have a relationship with God. Yeah. A couple of other events happened that made me realize that, you know, meeting Christians who were in very intense life situations, but they just had such deep peace in their heart that I thought, how on earth does this family even function with a person that is fully handicapped and yet love is flowing in their relationship and kids and everyone's totally happy. Mm. This is not normal. So anyway, I went away from there and um, my girlfriend then, now wife, did the DTS that we all, that I'm teaching right now and that you also did at some point and there was a teacher there I think I'll just explain, DTS stands for Discipleship Training School, for those that are not YWAM savvy with the lingo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is the Discipleship Training School. She did, she did that back in Germany in 1978, shortly after she became a Christian. So she was in that school, and there was a teacher who, was, who had come from North Germany, and she set him up to come and visit me. She said, um, you know, you're going back up there, go pay him a visit. And, uh, you know, he needs to know more about Jesus kind of thing. 
I wasn't too sure whether I wanted to know more about Jesus, but I obviously had you know had some experience some experience at that time. Eventually, he actually came to my uh, found a, a note on my door. I was studying agriculture up in the northern city of, of Kiel. I found a note on my door, and it says, "Please come to the Jesus Festival in Hamburg um, at a particular time." Uh, sorry, I, you weren't home, and he signed his name. And I thought, no, that's interesting. Is <laughs> it nothing in the world? I was, I, I came, had developed sort of a hippie lifestyle. Nothing in the world. None of my friends would ever want to know that I would go to a Jesus festival. But something drew me towards this, and uh, I eventually went. It was, it was actually quite significant how on that day somebody came and visited me. I had no money to go to this festival. It was 150 kilometers away. I needed to get there. I had no money to go there, so, but somebody offered me a ride, so I couldn't say no. I uh, was very ashamed. I didn't want to tell anybody where I was going, but snuck away from this tea party and actually went to the Jesus Festival. And everything that happened in that meeting actually blew my whole concept of Christianity out of the water. I was absolutely stunned coming into this big cathedral, which is still standing there in Hamburg, of course. About 400 young people who looked like me, beards, long hair, hippie-like kind of thing. And they were not on drugs, they weren't drunk or anything, but they had... They they looked like me, but acted quite differently. And the first thing that happened, I was meeting this guy who had actually invited me, and he gave me a whole handful of tracts and said, we're going out and sharing with people about Jesus. And I go like, what, what are you doing or what am I doing? So I went on the street and I quickly got rid of about 100 tracts saying, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, this is for you, free of charge, da-da-da-da. And I was done in about five or ten minutes handing out 100 tracts on the street. <clears throat> but um, anyway, that whole evening, I was just struck by this group of people who looked like me and seemed to uh, have a similar lifestyle to mine, but they had something that was different. And I knew what it was. I knew it was Jesus that they had in their life, and I didn't. And it spoke so strong to me that I thought, this is just too... Strange. I need to get out of here. I had actually been warned by my parents who lived through Nazi Germany, you know, never ever fall for mass hypnosis, hypnosis or mass, <laughs> uh, you know, when people want to want you to go a certain way, don't fall for it. We yeah. all fell for it. Mm. Uh, don't, don't go there. So that was definitely there. Yeah. And I wanted to have space. So I went for two days, came back on the third day. And was confronted with the same thing. In fact, this time it was stronger. And I began to realize that I really, really wanted what these people had. It was so attractive. So I was standing with the man who was with me and he asked me, So, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you become a Christian? And again I said, <coughs> He said, come with me. So he, he went with me, it went, followed him into this little side room, and uh, 
he did some things that I really didn't understand what he was doing. He was praying in another language, and I had no idea what was going on. And welcomed me, welcomed me into the kingdom of God, which I thought the whole time while he was praying, I thought this is weird. And if I'm coming out of here alive, and okay, I'm still gonna be all right, and I'm I still want to give my life to God. If I still feel the same way. So um, I got out of this room not having given my life to the Lord, but I said, I need to be alone. This is a deep, deep, deep decision that I make because I am, if there's one thing that I knew at that moment, that he wanted to be the Lord of my life. And he wanted my everything, everything that makes me me. And it was a very, very deep personal exchange that I knew God wanted from me. And so... I went home, <laughs> walked for about two kilometers, pondered about all this and went into the train, an underground train, and somewhere between the main train station in Hamburg City and the place where I was, I went on my knees and if I could have, I would have taken my, stuck my hand down my throat and taken my heart out and ripped it out and said, I give you my heart with everything that I have with everything that's in my mind. I give you I give you my life. I want you to be king of my life. Jesus, I want you to be king of my life and Lord of my life. And I do not want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you. It was that simple. Wow. And that powerful, though I did not hear angels singing or anything, but something filled my very being that was... It kept me pretty much alive all night and, and awake all night, alive for sure, but awake all night. Couldn't wait to tell my mates the next morning, my friends who were staying with. And I got up out of bed like two hours before they got up, made a tea, and I couldn't wait to tell them what had happened. <laughs> it was probably the best, the mostly the most on fire ever just within my soul was burning to tell other people that Jesus is real. He is real. God is real. And you can actually have a relationship with him. And I just started one with him. Could you describe the transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? And I don't like it's It's such a tricky thing to describe sometimes because it just happens and you're just on fire. But everyone's got a different experience. And I'd love to hear how you would put it in your words. Well, I would say it started with the realization um, over a period of time that I saw that God was real. And so that, that was the, definitely the first thing. That hadn't changed necessarily in any way how I wanted to live my life. That was just suddenly a real, or it was a realization. So yeah. I carried that for about five months or so. So that was that change when we discussed earlier that you didn't even think yes. Jesus was, um, he was just a myth. Exactly. And now he's a reality. Yes. yes. Okay. And so the transaction actually, what I, f- what I felt at the time when I made that conscious choice to lay my life down, and allow him to live in me because that's mm-hmm. what the people had been talking about I can do and I would need to do. Yeah. Uh, 
actually in that moment I, it was not so much that I had a, a full understanding of sin or I had a clear understanding of a separation from God and I wanted to get into the relationship with him for sure. Mm. So I needed, I knew that the transaction that needed to take place is that very consciously from the depth of my soul mm. let go of my own rulership or my own lordship over my life and invite him to come in and take that place of telling me where things, you know, were the way I should go. Amen, yeah. And so that was alive in me, boom, uh, just like that. And I was just a deep, deep joy, a deep, deep joy. And looking back now, there are certain things that just changed, boom, on um, with that moment of me giving my life to Jesus. It was not even a struggle to stop promiscuous lifestyle. It was not a struggle to quit or to stop smoking. It was not a struggle to stop partying or all of that stuff. My mind was... It was just a complete shift and complete change. I want to know this Jesus. I want to know him and I want to make him known as well. It was just right there from the word go. Spoken like a true bywammer. I want to know I've Jesus and I want to <laughs> make him known. Heard that one before. That's right. <laughs> but it was it was not I had no idea about why well, I had some idea that there was YWAM because my Yeah, my, but I just love special friend was there. It's in your blood. Like even yeah. you just sharing your testimony like that, like that conversion. And that's like, that's all I want to do. I want to know him, and I want to get him known. That's yeah. so cool. And the amazing thing was that the response in the morning, I was expecting my friends to want to know more, but they really thought I'd gone off the rail. They really thought. Are, these, are these your Christian friends? No. Oh, no. They are, oh, okay. my, they are my non-Christian yep. uh, study buddies, um, you know, living in the same lifestyle that I was living before or that okay. I had lived up to that point. So we were in a in a co- little commune together, sharing a house, sharing a flat. Yeah, but they were my sort of my closest friends at the time. And did they try and save you from Jesus? By the way, uh, I think <laughs> one of them did because one has brushed it off and thought you're nuts. You just you know what did you did you smoke too much weed last night or what happened? You know, and I yeah. said no, 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 no. That's what you know. God is real. And uh, so the one that I was a little bit closer with, he took me aside on the same morning and he said, you know what, just to give you good advice, I have a sister, she went that way. You know, I think you should consider, reconsider. I don't think you (laughs) should continue like that. You should reconsider your choice to follow Jesus. And so if anything, all the people that were close to me who I was sharing with, it was all a negative response, very negative which made exactly. me all the more like it didn't shake me at all a little mm. bit, no, not 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 a bit, and it was quite. I think the big the big change came just a couple of nights after I gave my life to Jesus. Mm. I had a very vivid dream, very clear. I heard God speak to me in a dream. Just the name of a place of another place which I remembered was the place where my father. Uh, had studied agriculture, which was 400, 500 kilometers or 400 kilometers south of where I was. And it was so clear that I felt, I think I need to change direction. I need to get out of this place where my life looked like this. And I literally went on that same day where I I had that dream and I woke up with it. The same day I jumped on the train, drove down there and against all odds, got a place on that, in that university in that, in that school was actually more like a 
uh, a college kind of thing in Germany. We would say college. Uh, but I got a place, got a seat. It was was miraculous in all its way. There were so many parts in there that was a God thing, and it was not mm. me doing it, but it was God doing it, setting me up to get out of the town that I had lived in before, saying goodbye to all my friends and start mm. with a complete clean slate. Wow. And and that's exactly what happened. So I moved there. I mean, I drove down, got the place, moved out of the other city, and a couple of months later, I was down in a different place, starting with a complete different set of friends and all we wanted to do is even in our college we want everybody to know about jesus wow and tell me what your um i guess the reaction to katrina when she heard that you have had this miraculous conversion after thinking she was crazy at the beginning (laughs) she must have been over the moon Uh, yeah more than that she was very very excited and very over the moon and um, yeah, I mean, we got married. Uh, Eighteen months later, we were married, I think, and still are. Forty-two years later, long, Come on. long journey together with God. I would like to mention one point, one thing. Uh, very shortly after I had given my life to Jesus and I moved to this other town, I found just two other people who were like-minded with me. We were; they were also very definitely born-again Christians, and we wanted to make Jesus known in the field where we were, in the college and even in the town. And we looked for any opportunity where we that we would get to share our story, just how we met Jesus, and that Jesus is real, and that you can follow him, and how amazing he is. And, um, but it got a little, I don't know, I wouldn't say boring, but the people, the platforms that we got was usually old people, and we were looking for the other young ones, one or other, other college students and stuff, and made ourselves ridiculous in some places at the college, but different people came. The the group of students being saved grew. And so people gave their life to Jesus along the way. And one day somebody took us to a church. It was a Baptist church, and this old, old lady gave us a a tract about baptism. And uh, my friend and I, we looked at it, and so we read it. And we looked at each other and we're like, we got to get baptized now. What if Jesus comes back tomorrow? We better do this now. And we immediately went back, called the pastor up and said, can we come back to church? Uh, we want to get baptized. Oh, brother, that's just wonderful, he replied. And they hadn't had a baptism in several years. So anyway, <laughs> to make a long story short, what was meant to be, they, he said, oh, you should wait six months. I pushed him so hard. It's like... I can't wait six months. I'm going to go down. It's somewhere in a lake or somewhere, and I'll find somebody that's going to baptize me. I said, I want to make just, I really want to commit myself to God. I want the world to know. I want people to yeah. see it, and I want to go into the water, and I want to want to do this. You know, I want to do it out of a step of obedience. And so they did baptize me, even though my other friend jumped off because they threatened him to kick him out of his church that he was part of if he would get baptized. Well, I I went away, broke my mother's heart. My my dad came, other people came, but it was more rejection from other people uh, mm. that knew me because the yeah the Christian quote unquote Christian circles that I was in before didn't like that idea. But Katrina came up from Hula from where she was doing this discipleship training school to be part of my baptism, and uh, so I was the only one that got baptized that day. Short, not long after I'd given my life to the Lord, and it was a beautiful, glorious day. I just, 
will remember that forever that day and somebody gave me this verse on a card which I actually still have and it says I will bless you and you will be a blessing and that is uh, just from the Mosaic Covenant of course Abrahamic Covenant actually in, in um, Genesis but that um, I'm thinking often back to now 44 years later <laughs> I'm still wow. thinking about that very often in that prophetic word that was given to me at that time would you be able to just share with our listeners um, why you wanted to get baptized right there what right then what did that tract have on it that made you want to do that right now and not in six months time and also why were the people other Christian believing people in your church that didn't like you getting baptized? Well, our parents uh, said they we got baptized when we were little babies, when we were shortly after our birth. And uh, the circumstance of my birth in particular was um, were very dramatic and uh, where I had almost died. My mother had also almost died at it. And so I fully respect their view of, of things, uh, having done what they did at that time and seeing it at baptism. But in my mind, what the tract was saying, like uh, when you're a little baby, we, we do want to get dedicated mm. uh, into into the kingdom of God. And that's what mm. our parents had actually done to us. But it wasn't uh, just what the tract explained was more that baptism is something that you do after you decide to give your life to Jesus as yeah. a public um, way of expressing that you want to really die to self mm. and lay your life down, go into the grave, just like Jesus went into the grave. And it's a symbolic act. So I understood it as such. And um, something that Jesus would ask of his followers, that you believe and bapti- be baptized in a public setting where people are looking on and uh, hearing you share your testimony to them and holding you accountable to your choice as well of following Jesus wholeheartedly. Mm. So that was my new understanding. And um, yeah, to my parents that and other people as well, that was uh, they couldn't understand that because they thought I we baptized you already and you should not. Yeah, I believe the baby baptism came from when... Um, they were back in the early church. They were expecting Jesus to come back within their lifetime mm. at any moment. Mm. And there was all these parents having children, and they were like, well, if he comes back tomorrow, I've just had a baby, and they haven't been baptized, I won't go to heaven. And that's where baby baptism was born, was out of fear that Jesus could come back at any moment. And my little baby that I've just, you know, only a few days old would not, um, get into heaven because they haven't been baptized. So it wasn't, it's really a tradition that was birthed out of fear um, and not out of you making a personal commitment yourself and a public commitment to serve the Lord. And I do appreciate, you know, the parents, our parents really doing everything they did to teach us in the ways of God and the. Mm biblical values as well like on how to live your life in integrity and honesty and 
how you treat others and loving others and caring for others. So they mm. modeled all of that very well. But they, th- in their mind, it was like when we baptized you as a baby, you came into the kingdom of God and you became a Christian. And I found that not to be quite true <laughs> because as I was growing up, even with uh, being confirmed, which is what is done in our church again, uh, in our parents' days, that was actually really a time where they would learn about the ways of God and make a decision. That was They were called to make a decision mm. to follow God. But it didn't happen for me. It really did not. And to me, God was a myth way out there, didn't care. Can't mm. because he's not a person. So he's, if yeah. anything, spirit, whatever that means. But having met Jesus and the reality and the truth about him and that he is alive and that he is really there, drawing me into a relationship and me actually stepping into the relationship with someone I don't see, but by faith, putting my faith in Jesus, it changed everything. The way I I looked at life, the way what I did from then on just was completely different and completely it. it, it it changed my life and what it, what I what I was doing what I would do for the next years and I wouldn't actually looking back I wouldn't even ever change it. Yeah, I would want to follow Jesus and no one else because was it's the most exciting thing you can do and the Amen. most significant thing you can do actually with you and so the baptism to me was then just to reconfirm that and saying I have made a decision to follow Christ. Yeah, and um, I want the world to know. And I want to seal it and be accountable to even people that watch this and see this. Hold me accountable to this. Mm. So I'm assuming that this didn't throw your relationship under the bus with your parents or anything like that? No, it did not. It was just something that they're like, hang on, you're already being baptized, but sure, if you want to get baptized again, whatever. (laughs) Because it doesn't take away baptism. No, it wasn't actually, it wasn't quite like that. I think our relationship with our parents is solid or was very mm. solid and it didn't rock that. But no, it did rock it in a way because it was it it was a bit of a blow to what they believed and what they thought mm. was true and um and so they were they kept wondering because we joined this organization called Youth with a Mission as a platform or as a as a vehicle to travel with <laughs> For, for the mm. pretty much for the majority of our life now, and um, so they were wondering whether that was a cultish or whether that was wrong and off. And the more they investigated, the more they found, nah, that's not that bad after all. Mm. And uh, so it didn't, in that sense, it didn't uh, definitely did not sever our relationship. It rocked it for a while, and they investigated thoroughly and hoping that we had not gone off the rail. And you know, as yeah, time went on. They saw now we are, we are quite all right. <laughs> it's not that bad. Tell me about your uh, sort of first couple of years getting to YWAM. Was that from uh, you went into this agriculture um, study at a college? Yes. Um, what and you followed that, and did you go and work in in that industry, or did you go into YWAM? Um, so I finished my college time in Witzenhausen in Germany uh, near Kassel and um, because Katrina was at uh, was with Weimar in Germany uh, was connected to the Youth of the Mission outfit in Germany in South Germany it was about 400 kilometers away but I kept close contact with Katrina for one but also with the YWAMers and 
participated in several outreaches at the time um, and during our break time. Um, I went regularly with a whole bunch, loaded a car up with people from the college to come under their teaching. And we grew. We really spiritually grew in this community called Youth with a Mission back then in Germany who had gathered because of the Olympic Games in 1972. So they had been operating for about six years. So we're talking at that time it was 1978 when I, when I got saved and when we started, I started my relationship with YWAM. Um, so um, it started with outreaches, several outreaches, doing some seminars, uh, attending seminars, attending teaching sessions. Um, uh, but then... Uh, did, did you do your DTS um, in 1978? No. Or you just... No, I did not. Um, With YWAM? No, Katrina had done, my now wife, <laughs> girlfriend then, so she had done a DTS, a discipleship training school and a school of evangelism. She had been uh, on outreaches in uh, southwest Europe, Spain, Portugal, and then went on a, on a trip to India on a VW van for three months, six of them traveling, just sharing the gospel all over the place. And... Yeah. Um, but we got married in 1980 in August, and she um, left YWAM at the time. Uh, we didn't leave our association. We just wanted association with YWAM. We just wanted to have a time where we would grow as a couple, build our family, and also work in, uh, as a farmer. Uh, did that as a paid job for a whole year. Uh, after that, started with a uh, community project where we wanted to develop a, um, a youth training center on a farm where they could learn certain skills, um, mainly for dropout youth. That's what we wanted to do. But it actually never materialized, just working hard on the farm. Farm life is, is wonderful, but it's very hard. <laughs> um, not just milking, but also doing cropping and all that stuff. So worked for worked that for about three years before we followed our calling to the Pacific, which we found out actually shortly after we got married that God called us was calling us to the Pacific, and we held it with an open hand, trying to find out the timing for us to go. So, what do you mean by calling to the Pacific? Well. When you give your life to Jesus, that means you give your everything in your life to him and you will allow him to lead you in into the direction that you want to go or the direction he wants you to go. And we say, yes, Father, we do whatever you're telling us to do. There were different things that had happened in my life that were pointing towards um, the Pacific. And it actually started with a deep, deep passion for sailing in my life that I developed when I went to this boarding school on a little island in the North Sea for four years. And uh, shortly after I had given my life to Jesus, I was asked to go back to that island just for a weekend to sail a race. Um, and I knew at the same time I was also invited to go to a seminar to learn about the Holy Spirit. And I knew I was to go to the seminar to learn about the Holy Spirit, but my how should I say, my mind tricked me on this one or my desire to sail was stronger than going, uh, gave way to the other voice that said, you should go to the, to the seminar. And I went sailing. 
And it was a long way to sail to the actual place to sail the race. And on the way back, we got hit by a very, very strong storm and almost died out at sea. And I was very, very much aware. felt a little bit like Jonah in the Bible. I knew I was in the wrong spot. I knew I was not doing what God wanted mm. me to do. And I vowed that moment. I said, if that means I never, ever sail again, that's fine. I just want to follow you, Jesus. Mm. And I don't want to disobey i don't want to do i do not want to not do what you're telling me to do i yeah. want to do what you're telling me to do mm. so it was probably the first or the second time or so that i went down to Hurlach to, to the ywam base in in germany to visit katrina that i walked through the door and it was short, definitely shortly after i had said i won't if that means i never sail again then that's fine that I opened the door and there was a notice board and on the notice board was a pamphlet and on the pamphlet it said, Sail the Pacific for Jesus. And I didn't want to see it. I really didn't. But then again, I wanted to see it. <laughs> it was like, it went like very sharp into my soul and it's like, you mean sail for Jesus? There's such a thing. I'd, it really spoke to me, but I was, I, I pushed it aside for the longest time ever and just thinking, this is just me. It's just my passion for sailing. Mm. And that's what's, that's what's drawing me. And uh, um, I found out later in hindsight that that organization that put that pamphlet out there actually never existed it was a dream that somebody had and it put a pamphlet what was never operating it was out of new zealand out of aotearoa new zealand but it never took off it never worked and um but it spoke to me i actually took a copy of that thing and carried it around with me for a while wow and i shared it to those who were mentoring us at the time you know said you know we are, we are asking god i said god I go anywhere, anywhere, anywhere in the world. I just want to do wherever, wherever you lead me, I want to go. And um, so came the time where uh, Katrina is, uh, you know, after or before we got married, she already told me she had a clear impression when it came to where we were to go that it would be a place with a lot of water. And, uh, you know, where is the place with a lot of water? So it could be, could be pretty much anywhere. The Pacific definitely fits that. Mm. that one so it was at a time when we after we got married that we fasted and prayed and that seriously took this to God to hear what he would have to say about the Pacific the question that day was God do you want us to go to the Pacific or not is it the Pacific Islands you want us to go we're ready to go anywhere really and um, in the evening of that day I was waiting for Katrina to come from a doctor's appointment and I was standing in front of a window uh, in a street, in a in a shopping street, and this man with brown skin, man, black hair, walked right in front of me, stood in front of me for about two, three seconds, and walked away the same way he came, blocking my view of the window. And he had a yellow T-shirt, and in the back it said, with big letters, Pacific Islands, was printed on his T-shirt. And I was stunned. I was just stunned. Literally, I couldn't move. I <laughs> looked at this and like held my breath. Here we were praying and asking God, is it the Pacific Islands? And this man is standing in front of me. 
And uh, so as he was walking away, so I, I looked at him in disbelief, but followed him and I wanted to talk to him because he had a different color skin or like maybe he's from somewhere, maybe he's from there, I have no idea. I don't don't know what the people look like over there. I don't know anything about the Pacific. So I tried to catch up with him and I would have, except when I turned around the corner, he was gone. So he had just disappeared. And um, so we took that as a real thing that either angels are real or that God had spoken to us that it's the Pacific. So we're ready to pack our bags. I had learned about timing, so it was not until three years later that we actually packed our way on a one-way ticket with two little kids and wow. came this way from Germany to never return because he said go and didn't say come back, so go back. Here we are. Still here. Wow. 40 years later. So you went with two kids, but you've got four, is that right? Yes, we have four children. And you've had the the other two kids while you were in work. Saipan. Wow. So let's let's have a little um, chat about what you actually did in the in the Pacific. However, before we get there, if there's any of our listeners now, and they're wanting to know what their calling is, what's some advice that you've got for our Christian listeners that are going? Lord, send me, I don't know where. How, how do they find the angels wearing the Hawaiian Pacific <laughs> T-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'll take that experience with the angel or with this person coming, standing in front of me and disappearing. Very groovy angel. <laughs> yeah, very groovy. I never saw this person's face. I think it was a male. But... Uh, there was no way that he could have disappeared anywhere other than it, than it was a supernatural event, actually, and mm-hmm. a person, an angel from God. But uh, that may not be your story when you tell your story on how God called you somewhere. There was actually, I don't take much pride in it because I think God had already spoken and I hadn't noticed it. And I needed to have a little bit more <laughs> straight confirmation. When I talk to people about finding their calling, it is really much more to, and the most important thing is to have a readiness in your heart to do anything or go anywhere, wherever God would call us to. Mm. And then uh, we just, this last week, uh, I was talking to a group of young people here in Queenstown about their calling and I encouraged them to look back on their life and the things that they really enjoy or that they're good at and the things that are already in their heart uh, things it could be skills or it could be desires or a place that they might be praying for or a place they might be interested in more than another place mm-hmm. and to just be prayerful about these things and finding out like god would you lead me into this particular area it could be a geographical place it could be a social issue um we talked we had my daughter talk who really carries a deep burden for the unborn life, the, the life in the womb of mm-hmm. women, that the unborn child and the atrocities that are um, happening to women, abortions that are happening, uh, carrying a deep, deep burden in her heart, uh, which is more than the average person would be concerned about. She de- mm-hmm. carries a deep, deep grief about that and, she followed that, just that deep, deep desire and became a midwife and has been ministering to women in who have been raped and have had four or five abortions and 
leads them to Jesus, their lives change, they carry their babies out and then follows and accompanies them for the for another year or half a year and so she's worked that way and just to care for life mm. uh, the unborn life even the newborn life that was the mm. path for her so somebody else might be it might be something completely different it might be the business world or it may be um i don't know the education world or mm. uh, any any area of life where Jesus wants to be alive in and he wants people who model walking with God, often these passions or these the direction on where to go happens quite early in life without us knowing that God is actually leading us there. Mm. Um, it could be in the medical field or wherever. Mm. And so I would tell people, look at where your interests are. Submit your ways to God, and we do that. We pray that. We say we submit our ways to God, and then see what are the passions that develop in your life. And then take it a step at a time. What's the next thing you want me to do, Father? What's the next thing you want me to do? And follow that. Mm. And you will step into the thing that God has for you. It's a journey. It's really good. That's <laughs> <laughs> really good. I mean, this one part I like about this job is we get all these amazing guests on the podcast and we get to ask those questions, and it's a little bit greedy, really, because I'm a lot of the time asking for myself and my wife. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's amazing. Very, very good answer to that. Um, here's a good question for you, um, for those that might live in a little bit of doubt sometimes. Um, how do you handle doubt or questions about your faith? And how do you find ways to grow in your relationship to Christ when there is a little bit of doubt sometimes? Well, um, I don't think it happens to me very often that I have existential doubts about the reality of God. I can, I remember, I will tell one story that happened. Um, well into my Christian life, um, where I felt that God was far away and that He had that He wasn't speaking to me, and um, I felt like yelling at Him and said, "Are you still real? <laughs> You're still there for me? Are you still there?" That wasn't so much. wasn't actually so much for me. It was like, "Are you still there?" Because I'm. I felt I was struggling with decisions I needed to make, and I was not. Mm. I was not feeling that I was in tune with him. And I went out into the field and I actually got loud. And I said, <laughs> I cried into the sky, are you still there? You know, are you still around? Are you hearing what's going on? You know, I, f I feel mm. I'm carrying this by myself kind of thing. Are you still there? Are you still real? Are you still there? And I will never, 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 never forget. And that's like that particular question about it's an ex existential question: Is God for real? Is it, you know we need to live with that all the time in our mind that He is actually for real. He sees mm. our very step that we take, and He is around us all the time. So, the thing that happened that stopped me from ever doubting that again was just the little, still, small thought in my mind that came to my mind when I was being very loud out there and crying, screaming to God, crying out to God in a very loud voice. 
the little thought came, look up, what do you see? And I was like, oh, you mean, what do you see? <laughs> I'm looking up and there's a clouds and there's clouds in the sky and there's coconut leaves that I'm looking at up there and whatever. And he said, see? So what do you see? And I was reminded of a scripture that I had read um, the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, the, you know, man is really without excuse. The handiwork of God is constantly, mm. constantly displaying the power of who he is mm. so that man is without excuse. No one can say there is no God because he's whatever you look at. Mm. When I look at you having this podcast here right now, I'm seeing God at work. I'm seeing the handiwork of God. If I look at, if I go and look at any piece of, grass outside i cannot deny that god is real mm. and so that comforts me so much that that he is for real all the time yeah. now there are other doubts that come sometimes about um you know, does he really care about this or really care about this and there's a couple of things that i turn to one is i look in the bible i, I go into a um, what you call a concordance uh, an exhaustive concordance that actually has every word in the Bible in there. And I look mm. for the thing that I'm doubting is, does the Bible say anything about it? Mm. And I look at that. And if I find something and it gives me more questions, then I go and f try and find out what the Hebrew or whether any commentaries or there's all sorts of literature that one can look at mm. uh, to see what does this actually mean when yeah. the Bible talks about this. So I do that for myself but then I also find it very helpful to just have a talk with someone uh, who I respect and someone where things walks with God and could give me a smart answer or something that would encourage me in this particular area so when there's doubts those are the things one is what do I know what revelation have I already had from God am I just need to remember something that God has already shown me mm. as truth um, if I don't have an experience, do I, can I go into the Bible and find out what does this word say? Or have a conversation with someone who also follows Christ wholeheartedly or may have had a conversation or have an experience or something like that that would help me in my understanding or in my doubt. Mm. That's so good. Um, let's go to your journey in the Pacific. I would love to hear what God actually sent you to do. Because you're working with many different islands, and is there a event during that period of time, which is probably a big twenty years or something? Is that right with the Pacific? Thirty-eight. Thirty. Okay. Wow. Um, so there might be a couple of different events that you might want to uh, discuss with us um, that you really saw God move, and you're just like, wow. Um, during that time in the Pacific. Yes. There are many events. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you one from the early days, and there may be another one from the not-so-early days. Um, in our early days, we started in our journey in the Pacific in Saipan, which is uh, one of the islands in the Northern Mariana Islands, which is, uh, for those who are listening and may not know where on earth that is, it is uh, three flight hours south of Japan and 
three flight hours east of Manila in the Philippines, in the middle of the Pacific, right next to the Mariana Trench, which is the deepest ocean depth. That's little Saipan up there. 21,000 people live there. And we were in a discipleship training school, and another fellow missionary lady had come to teach on the uh, on spiritual warfare. And um, so she was a very seasoned teacher in a in a in a high school in a high school, but a missionary, uh, a wonderful lady. She stopped in the middle of her teaching, looked up and said, I want us to pray right now for a certain person. His name is James Hupday. And she briefly explained that James Hupday lives with his wife and eight children on a small island called Fadrai, which is in the Ulithi Atoll, which is part of Yap State, which is part of the Federated States of Micronesia, which is about two hours south by plane from the place where we were living. She said they are the only Christians on that island and they are at the beginning of a whole chain of islands that are pretty much forgotten, but there's people living up there, out there, and they have populations from 80 people to a maximum of 1,000 spread out over a huge area, surface area, but just little atolls, and they're all part of Yap State. And she said, and no one is allowed to go there and preach the gospel, but these, this couple is the key person to, the key people that could eventually possibly go there. When she said nobody can go there, I felt something speak to me and to my spirit, says who, you can't go there. I had developed at that time sort of a passion for the places that are way out there that people have forgotten. I felt they need to hear about Jesus and mm. they need to know you know, that they can actually live a life. I have no idea what their life looks like, but mm. I so badly wanted them to know about Jesus as well. And if nobody is allowed to go there, I said Jesus would go there. So, Oh, he would sail there, I'm sure. I didn't think he would walk on the water. There's too, too much water to walk on. The, wa- the wave's too big. <laughs> and uh, so I was just stirred in my heart. And I said, I wa- I wa-. it was the who says you can't go there turned into I want to go there. And started praying into this. And um, so it was only a few days later, actually, that I talked to our leaders and said, can I go and find this man, James Hupday? I want to find him and talk with him and see. I was leading this discipleship training school and was um, getting ready to take this group on outreach and uh, I thought that might be a very good outreach location for us to go to the place where we're not allowed to go. So I was on my way to meet James Hupday. No idea how to find him, really. I just knew he was on this little island called Fadarei. And that's all I knew. And I knew there was a little missions plane that would fly from the international airport in Yap to Flalop in Ulithi Atoll. And then you'd have to take a boat to find the guy. I had found out that much. So I flew down to Yap, arrived, walked over into the hangar where the missionary plane was parked. And there's a small office. It's just a sheet of plywood in a 
big covered place and a bench and a chair and that's the counter for you know for that little missionary airplane person and there was a lady sitting there and said hello and said my name and why I was there I said would you have any clue have you ever heard the name James Hupdane mm-hmm. and is there any way that you could help me find this man and she smiled at me and she said why don't you turn around he's standing right behind you <laughs> wow so I turned around and James Hupdane was looking at my face with a big smile and I had a big smile and I gave him a big hug and he gave me a big hug we had never met and we were on the spot, one heart and soul. Wow. So I introduced myself a little bit and I said who I, you know, what, what had happened and um, whether there was any way that we could help him in the work that he was doing of bringing Jesus into his community on his island of 90 people. That was all. And he had been, it was his island, but he was excommunicated from that community of 90 people. Can I believe it? The island is so small, you can throw a rock literally from one side to the other, and then it's a kilometer and a half long. So it's a very oh, narrow wow. strip of land with some coconuts on it, but you can literally throw a rock from one side to the other. <laughs> I knew there was a high school that was part of that atoll, and atoll is a group of islands that has a big lagoon in the middle that's usually, it could be anything from three to ten islands on an atoll. And on that atoll was an island, uh, was one island where there was a high school that would bring people from all these outer islands where you're not allowed to go to as a Christian. They would bring them there, and I thought, maybe we can share Jesus with these people, these high school kids, <laughs> and and help him with that in, the, in his work mm-hmm. that way. And he said, oh, he said, that is such an answer to prayer. Please come and help us doing with what we're doing and he said there's there's but just this i can't make this decision by myself we need to ask the chief because the way things go here is before you can go somewhere you need to ask permission from the chief and the chief is down in town and we need to go there and talk to him so we went to see the chief of the outer islands and his name is hathi and um, so we, we went to see him, and, and there had been actually a YWAM outreach team that we were part of the year before in that little village on the main island, and this chief had seen the group that was there from YWAM. So when we met, he said, um, are you part of this group that was here last year? Mm. And uh, said, yeah, this is the same the same people. Oh, he said, that was... Amazing. I really, really liked what you're doing. Um, you want to come to Ulithi to talk to our students? And I said, yeah, if with your permission, we would love to do that. Oh, he said, that would be wonderful. But it's not quite right. He said, what, what about all the other islands? They might be missing out. Could you go to all of them, please? <laughs> Are you kidding I, I really thought I didn't hear quite right. The island that you're not allowed supposed to go to, you know, the, he just asked me to go there. <laughs> it's like, what? Come on. So. Wow. I was more than 
excited at that moment. But then he said, well, um, the thing is this. I need to talk to the chiefs of each island, and we meet every three months. And we just met yesterday. They left this morning to go back to the islands. They're coming back in three months. And then I need to talk to them because that was the days before we had cell phones and stuff. Mm. No way of communicating out there. Um, fortunately, our plan to come was four months later, so there would have still been like four weeks or so that we could have, you know, it was, time, it was timely, it was okay. So we were more than happy, even though he said, I can't give you the final okay that you can actually go out there because normally he said, you, normally you can't, but if I ask you to come, that means you can come because I'm the chief and whatever I say goes. Wow. <laughs> and so... Anyway, I was more than happy. I couldn't wait to tell our team what was going on or what had happened. That story of uh, us meeting James Hubday. And I went back to the airport the next day to fly back to tell them what happened and get ready, get our team ready. After I checked in, a young boy came running up to me and he said, Chief Hathi wants to talk to you. He is outside in the parking lot. So I walked over to his car, his old beat-up, rusty, falling-apart car, and he said, um, he was all excited, and he said, you can come, you can come. And I said, what happened? How, how, how come that I can come? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, I don't know what happened, but something strange happened. The people left on the ship yesterday morning to the outer islands, out of the blue, totally unexpected, a big storm came. The ship had to turn around. It's back in the harbor. They're all back in my village. And I talked to him right away. And they all said, yes, we want these guys to come. Wow. And so I was almost in disbelief on how, how Jesus organizes and, co and does things if he wants to have his way. If, we just, if we're just willing to say yes to something that's impossible, Jesus can actually orchestrate things that... Yeah. To have his way. Come on. And so we found ourselves on that ship. Our daughter learned how to walk on this boat. Can you imagine how she's walking? She's <laughs> <laughs> as soon as she gets on land, she looks a bit drunk. <laughs> it, was, it was 26 days rock and roll and uh, wow. near, near death. It was, it was something else. 26 days At on sea. the boat. To yeah, get to these to islands. get to everywhere, yeah. Wow. Yeah, 14 atolls, and we, have, we went to every single inhabited one, every single one of them. Yeah. And we had two hours in each place yeah. to share about Jesus. Every, what we had, he actually achieved to ask us, so what are you going to bring? What are you going to do when you come? And mm. while he was asking me the question, I'm trying to talk to the Lord and say, Father, what are we going to do? And it just quickened to my mind, oh, we're going to do a drama. We're going to tell the story of Jesus, his birth, because it was around Christmas time, his birth, his life, his ministry life, his death and resurrection. We just tell the whole story of Jesus in a drama, in a production. I said, great. He said, that Come would on. be wonderful. So that's what we did. We put a drama together. Instead of shepherds, we had fishermen. Made it a little bit more, you know, <laughs> according to the culture. Awesome. We had people with us who spoke the language and shared the gospel. One shot. One shot at it. 
There's one island called Elato, where there was two men that came um, grasping our feet, and I was thinking of Paul's days back then, you know, when the apostles went somewhere, they would, the people would come and just hold their feet and say, don't go away, don't go away. They actually grasped our feet and said, we have read about Jesus. We have read about people having a relationship with God. I feel, or we feel, we have seen people who actually have a relationship with Jesus. We don't know about this. Can you, you need to tell us more. Can we get some of the material? We were on our way back to the ship, you know, after we, we could just do what we did, gave the presentation, shared, talked to a couple of people. Um, There's no way of, of asking, making an altar call or any such thing. We, were just, we just presented the gospel mm. in a very clear way. 25 years later, I get an invitation to go back to Yap. I've been in touch with that place for quite a while, but a pastor there said, could you come? There's a surprise waiting here for you. And we would like you to run a mini discipleship training program kind of thing. And when we arrived in Yap, he said, he picked me up from the airport, said, Henry, I just want you to know, because he had become a pastor. This, this guy who invited me had become a pastor, and he was part of that group that went for the very first time sharing the gospel out there. So by now he's a pastor on the main island. And he said, there's participants here that want to know more about Jesus and how to get discipled, and they're from every single one of the islands that we went to wow. 25 years ago. There's now believers on every single island there in our church, and they want to know more about him and how to walk life out. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> praise God, that's so cool. Yeah. I, following Jesus is exciting. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> it is an exciting thing when he orchestrates things and we get to be part of writing his story. It's beautiful. And you just, like, there was too many things that lined up that could have been a coincidence, like a storm. Uh, these, yeah. are, these are people that are fishermen, and, yeah. and they, they can read if there's going to be a storm coming. They wouldn't set sail if there was, like, some things that just happen, and you're going, well, I've, I found that interesting how God actually caused a storm for the gospel, and that that's just amazing. Mm. I love that. Whichever way, God had his way. <laughs> but the joy of participating in that, in God's story, is just beautiful. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's such a privilege to be able to do that. Yeah, so cool. Um, I would love to finish up the episode with a couple of questions because um, you've been in ministry for a long, long time. You're a veteran when it comes to Youth with the Mission, which is awesome. And... Um, would just love to. Would be foolish to not get some wisdom on people that are wanting to go into the mission field. People are wondering about the mission field if they if it's for them, um, and sort of how to navigate that. So um, let's start with somebody that might be listening to this and they're not a Christian. Um, do you have some advice for someone who's new to Christianity or is curious about the faith and where they should go? from there they've obviously made it to this podcast they've gotten this far I would suggest 
for anyone that is wondering uh, what to do with what we've been talking about, to say, to just pray this prayer, God, are you real? Are you for real? And let him speak to you and tell you in his way that you understand mm. the very truth that he is real. Amen. God doesn't like to overcomplicate it. Just yeah, have simple. an open heart. It's simple, yeah. Have an open heart to listen to him. And he will speak to you. He will speak to you in a way that you can understand it and that you will hear it uh, in your heart. If you, if you ask it from, a, from your heart, from the depth of your heart, and avail yourself also to be part of what God is doing on earth, because mm. the mission field starts, you open the door out of your house where you're staying right now, and you are in your mission field. You are in yeah. the mission field. It starts right there. You don't need to have to jump on a plane and travel anywhere. Mm. It's right Come in front on. of your door. And people, many people are desperate. People, many people are despaired about life, are, mm. don't see the sense in it, to see too much injustice, are involved in much too much injustice, don't know how to cope with things. None of these things are strange to God. Are, 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 all of these things God is aware of, and he wants people who step into any of these situations to communicate mm. through lifestyle, really, and with words if necessary, who he is. Mm. And um, you could be one of them if you avail yourself to it. And it's, it gives you purpose in life. It gives you meaning in life mm. and there's room for anyone anyone who breathes anyone who can move around or even if you can't move around there's a place for everyone uh, to be a model as long as we breathe this air we can model jesus in our surroundings so good um now for the christians that are listening how do you incorporate prayer and Bible reading into your daily practice or spiritual practice? Well, I get up in the morning and I say, Father, I want to walk with you. And it's as simple as that. So to walk with him means I have the Bible with me. It's right here. I brought it to the podcast in case I need it. Awesome. <laughs> so I have it around wherever I am. I'm not too, um, you know, for some people it helps. They say, okay, from six to seven, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm not one of those. I just I read it when I when I need to read it or when I want to read it. And I read it regularly for sure. Mm. It's my go-to place for things. And if you look at it, it has a lot of writing in it and a lot of <laughs> things in it and it's been used. And I love it. I love this book. It's a, like a textbook or a good guide for truth in mm. not, you knowing and understanding the heart of God. Uh prayer uh, again, I mean, I like going to prayer, prayer meetings, but I also pray, I love praying with other people together, going, coming before the throne of God. And I actually, again, for some people it's helpful to say, okay, I need to uh, pray every morning, like from that time to that time. Um, that's fine, that's quite okay. But I think it's not something that we just do like that, I think it's something that we do throughout the day. As we walk through the day, 
we talk to God. That's what I do. I talk to God while I'm when I'm going through the day together. Just before we started this podcast, we prayed briefly. But even you know while I'm talking, I can be having my mindset and God, Father, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to say it? Or what what do you want to do? And mm. be in communion with Him. I think that's like it's like an it, open channel. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, exactly. Lord, yeah. What do you want me to say? Yeah, yeah. in this moment. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, do you have some? Uh, oh, where was I? Oh yeah, this one's good. I like this sort of stuff. Um, can you recommend any resources? Um, obviously, you've got your Bible, but other things that have really helped you practically maybe for those that have been a christian for years they've read their bible but they kind of want um something extra could even be going and do ywam something like that yeah i mean resources uh i think on there's some online resources that i really like uh either uh, esort is something that i've become very familiar with i, I just love getting the deeper meaning of words mm-hmm. trying to understand the word of god better so there's a bunch of resources there. Uh, concordance is something that I like mm. as much as I like my Bible, just to find the places. And we stand on shoulders of people who have studied and made us a lifetime thing, mm. uh, studied and interpreted and gave comments, commentaries on, on scripture readings yeah. or scripture writings. And um, it's important also to know uh, to find good translations, compare translations if we really want to get into mm. the real meaning of things that the Bible is talking about. Yeah. Uh, other resources are people around you that uh, I would always, always, always say find people that build you up, mm. find people who walk the same way you are walking, who hunger for God just like you, and um, meet with them, be together with them, encourage one another. Mm. That would be one of the another great resource. Then um, could be pod, podcasts, could be videos or, or things, uh, worship music. Uh, yeah, uh, seeking fellowship in church as well, mm. just to go and see what other tracks that church offers that actually help me to be built up in the areas that I'm working in or that my life is involved in. Um, so fellowship with other people. Uh, in the church, so sort outside of, of church, whichever way, yeah. Look at everything Christian and and ha- that you've got access to and absorb it and filter it through the Word of God that you're reading uh, constantly anyway as well. Yeah, I found, uh, I've traveled quite a bit in life and sometimes uh, problems or Difficulties show up while you're in a different place that's not your home mm. or not where you're not familiar with it. I found that each time God provided someone, someone that I could trust in whatever place I was, whether that would be Korea or Germany or Singapore or India, yeah. I would or China. There would be a person there that would uh, that I could lean on to uh, mm. to for for help or for answers or for. Uh, what I needed at that time. Mm. So good. And um, do you have some last advice or anything that we've missed that you would, I mean, we probably missed a lot. It's for almost 40 years, or it must be around 40 years in ministry, isn't it? That's a long time. Um, so we should actually plan to get you for a part two as well. Next time you're in Queenstown teaching, we'll um, pencil you in now. <laughs> 
But um, yeah, something else that that might be on your heart now that you'd like to share before we end up closing up. Well, it's not hard. the The gospel is not complicated. A relationship with God is not complicated. So keep it simple. Mm. Your relationship with God. He is not complicated. Come on, and He has answers to life's questions, real answers that we need to know. And um, it so pays off to trust him really in every area or anything that would come our way, Mm. every area of life that you may be facing at the moment or that you may be in right now. That would be one thing. The other thing that I would advise anyone or one word would be team up with the right people. Mm. Make friends with people that build you up. They yeah. will understand, have those. You, there's mm. enough people out there that will disagree with you, but also find people that really build you up. Not people who say yes, yes, yes to everything that you say and do, mm. but people, good friendships that would uh, be people who will hold you accountable to things, mm. who love you enough to walk with you through also difficult situations, but people that you can trust and find these people yeah. and team up with them. That's so good. I, I, can really relate to that advice. It's um, something that's very dear to my heart is uh, my friends. I'm very careful with who I let very close to me and they've always building me up. They've always got them my best interests at heart and, um, you know, they're always praying for me, you know, that sort of thing. And um, the Bible says you've got a multitude of counsellors, mm-hmm. so people that you go to and your plans will succeed. So it's just, that's amazing advice. Uh, Henrik, you're an incredible person, Lord, and I just thank you so much for coming onto the show, onto the podcast, and so quickly too, because it was only a few days ago that we yeah. caught up, yeah. and you're leaving tomorrow. Yes. And right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was yesterday that we organized for you to come on today. That's right. And um, yeah, so just being like ready, willing and going forth so just thank you so much you and Katrina both uh, for being so obedient in your call the call the send to what God's done in your life over 40 years in ministry is incredible and uh, it's really inspiring uh, for myself and and Laura who uh, early on in the ministry um, so yeah we just we love having you on and we hope that you're on the show again and yeah Thank you, Henrik. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram. And if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.